Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, who looked upon the lowliness of the Blessed Virgin Mary and chose her to be the mother of your only Son, grant that we who are redeemed by his blood may share with her in the glory of your eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading is from Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, says St Paul to the Galatians. Today, August the 15th, is the feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the woman of whom Christ was born. In the Roman Catholic Church, it's the feast of her bodily assumption into heaven, which some Catholics believe happened without her actually suffering a physical death at all. The Church of England, like the Eastern Orthodox churches, has never held that belief, but nonetheless we celebrate her life and we ponder her influence on this day. St Paul's words are the earliest mention of Jesus' mother in the Bible. His letters were written a decade or so before the first of the Gospels. But this is all Paul says about her, that Jesus was born of a woman. He doesn't name her or tell us anything about her. There are no stories of angels, mangers, shepherds or wise men, and certainly nothing about a virgin birth. He doesn't say anything about her other than that she existed. 
that Jesus had a mother, like everyone else. That's Paul's point. Jesus was born of a woman. He wasn't some unearthly superhero swooping in with special powers to save the day. And the fact that he was born of a woman proved it. He became part of our human family so that we could know that we were part of the family of God, able to cry out, Abba, Father, with the same confidence he did. The Gospel writers tell us a bit more about Mary, but only a bit. Mark's Gospel, the earliest of the four, only mentions Mary by name once, when a sceptical crowd from Nazareth says dismissively, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? then ramming home Jesus' ordinariness and hinting at a scandal around his birth, since he's only named as the son of his mother and not of his father. Matthew's Gospel tells some story, some stories of Jesus' birth, but it's Joseph who's the focus in them, not Mary. She doesn't say a word during the whole Gospel. It's her vulnerability that Matthew seems to want us to notice and therefore the vulnerability of God's plan, which seems to hang on a very thin thread. When the angel tells Joseph, not her, that she's bearing God's child, will he believe the angel, or will he abandon her, or even have her stoned for adultery? John's Gospel, written late in the first century, tells just two stories in which Mary appears the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns water into wine, and the story of her standing near the cross with John, when Jesus entrusts them to each other as a new family. But John never uses her name in his Gospel. She's only ever described as the mother of Jesus. To John, as to Paul, she's the proof that the word has really been made flesh, born of a woman, as Paul put it. It's only Luke who really lets Mary speak, who gives us any sense of her as a person with her own voice and ideas. He tells us of the angel Gabriel's annunciation to her, of her visit to her cousin Elizabeth, soon to be mother of John the Baptist, of Jesus' birth and the visit of the shepherds, of Simeon and Anna and their recognition of Jesus, events that leave her pondering what it all means. Luke tells us about the time the twelve-year-old Jesus went missing in Jerusalem too, and of Mary giving him a piece of her mind when she and Joseph find him eventually in the temple. Luke, like Matthew and Mark, later tells a story about how she comes with Jesus' brothers to try and persuade him to give up his mission and come home. Eventually she gets it, though, and at the beginning of the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, we're told she's present when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples at the birth of the church. All that pondering has borne fruit. It's still a rather slender foundation for the significance she acquires later in Christian tradition, though, but at least she has a voice, and it's a distinctive one at that. The passage we heard in today's Gospel reading, the words traditionally called the Magnificat, are Mary's song of praise when she hears that she'll bear God's son. She doesn't celebrate the thought of having a dear little baby to cuddle, or someone to carry on her name, or someone to care for her in her old age, though. She isn't rejoicing in what this child will do for her, 
but what he'll do for everyone. Overturning the status quo, lifting up the lowly, putting down the mighty, ushering in God's kingdom. Her willingness to say yes to God will change the world. Whatever the Gospel writers did or didn't say about her, though, her importance soon started to grow. In 431 AD, at a gathering of church leaders in Ephesus, Mary was given the title Theotokos, literally the God-bearer. It was still really more about Jesus than about her. If Jesus was truly human, as the Council of Ephesus wanted to insist, then he had to have had a truly human mother. Mary mattered in the same way all mothers matter. Whether they're good or bad, present or absent, loved or resented, or a complex mixture of all those things, without them none of us would be here. Without Mary, God wouldn't have been born into the world in the person of Jesus. But from then on, devotion to her grew, and by the Middle Ages it had reached fever pitch. Mary was everywhere. Devotions based around her, like the rosary, developed. Hymns were composed to her. Legends grew up around her, like that of her bodily assumption into heaven. Visions abounded. It almost seemed that she was more popular than Jesus himself, and perhaps she was for some people. She was seen as a powerful intercessor, more powerful than other saints, but also more accessible. Maybe she was the mother everyone wished they had, and surely they thought God would listen especially to her. You've got to listen to your mother after all. All this horrified the Protestant reformers. They saw practices focusing on Mary as dangerous distractions from the direct relationship between God and his people. In the violent struggles that swept the church in the 16th century, devotions to Mary were swept away. Statues were broken, rosary beads outlawed. They tried hard to put Mary back into her rather small place in the Bible, but she had a place in people's hearts that couldn't be denied. Perhaps it's because she's such a shadowy figure in the Gospels that she holds such fascination for us. We can project onto Mary whatever we like. She can be the beautiful maiden, innocent and protected from the world, to be adored from afar, even though we've no idea what she actually looked like or what her early life was like. She might have been plug-ugly, backstreet urchin, abused or living rough for all we know. She can be that perfect mother too, the mother no actual mother ever manages to be, with endless patience and never a cross word. She can be the revolutionary heroine, speaking up for the poor, inspiring courage and hope. As I've said, there's really very little to go on in the Gospels, so how we see her probably tells us more about ourselves than about her. But when you strip away all the projections, what we're left with for certain is back where we started. The woman of whom Jesus was born, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. Whatever else we think of her, she tells us that this is how God chooses to make himself known in the world, through an ordinary human woman. She reminds us that this is how God continues to make himself known, through human beings, women, men, children, people like us, who are also invited to be God-bearers.
Mary reminds us that we're all called to join her in helping God's work become flesh, expressing his love in ways that are real and tangible. That's needed as much now as it ever was, in a world where a young man can feel so unloved and hopeless that he slaughters his own mother and random strangers before turning his gun on himself, in a world where refugees find themselves homeless and despised at their moment of greatest vulnerability, in a world which we are threatening to destroy through our relentless overconsumption. Mary's yes to God's call invites us to say yes too, and to become theotokoi, God-bearers, with her. Amen. And so as we bring our prayers to God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Mm -hmm.